Well, if you've been with us the last several weeks, you know that we are going through a new sermon series called Living Out the Jesus Creed. In Matthew 22, Jesus is asked by a Pharisee, what's the great commandment? And faithfully, Jesus quotes the Shema, which was the most quoted passage in all of the Old Testament, still the most quoted passage in the Old Testament today, because Jews would faithfully recite it both in the morning and the evening, and still today, when Jews gather for worship on Saturday, they always recite the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then Jesus adds to it this phrase from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. He says, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus is able to graciously take the 613 commandments from the Old Testament and narrow it down to to two, just two. If we'll focus on doing just these two things, loving God with all that we are and loving our neighbor as ourselves, we will be spiritually transformed and we will live out the moral law of God. Love God, love neighbor. Easy to do, right? Well, easy to say, not always easy to do. The fact is that in our busy world with so many demands on our time and so many ways to get easily distracted, it's not always easy to love God with all that we are all the time. In fact, uh, if you remember last week, we talked about how are we to grow in our love for God. And one of the ways we can do that is by making sure that we avoid the things that can inhibit us from loving God. And we specifically went to the Ten Commandments, the first three commandments of the Ten Commandments. Now, before you read the Ten Commandments, it's always important to read Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 2, where, where God gives the commandments, but he says, remember, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery from Egypt. God reminds the people of Israel and all of us that he, he saved them and he saved us before he asks us to obey. Salvation precedes obedience. God calls us to obedience only after he has first saved us. And so it's out of gratitude for God's salvation, gratitude for his great love and his deliverance that we want to obey the Ten Commandments. And as we look at those first three commandments, and if you missed last week's sermon, you can find it online, but as we look at those first three commandments, you know, we we talked about how we're not to have any other gods, or we're not to make any idols and worship them, or or we're, we're not supposed to misuse the Lord's name in vain. Notice that those first three commandments and the Ten Commandments are, well, they tell us what not to do. Thou shall not have other gods. Thou shall not make any idols and worship them. Thou shall not misuse the Lord's name in vain. But the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments invites us to do something that if we will faithfully do it, we will find that we will naturally obey those first three commandments. In fact, we will find that if we will faithfully do this fourth commandment, that we will actually grow in our love for God and we will be able to love our neighbor better. To see what I'm talking about, I would encourage you to turn your Red Pew Bibles to page 78, Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his Holy Spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that in your great love you have given us these commandments that are for our good. For you, O God, are good, and you want what's good for us. So you've given us these commandments so that we might walk in your ways, that we might flourish here on this earth. So God, I pray that as we read these familiar words, that you might speak afresh and anew to us, that we might hear from you, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, 
Amen. Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 8. Listen to God's word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, you know, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now just a quick observation if you look at Exodus 20, you can't help but notice that what this fourth commandment has four verses to describe what it means to, well, to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. Most of the other t- ten commandments are simply stated in, in one simple verse. You know, thou shalt have no other gods. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. All just one verse. But this commandment has four verses committed to it to make sure that we understand what it means to, to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. So what does that mean for you and me today? How are we to remember the Sabbath day and to, and to keep it holy exactly? Well, one of the things that I love about being Presbyterian is that we actually have a, a book of confessions where great scholars and great minds have already thought about this. And they've discussed it, and they've studied it, and they've searched the scriptures, and they've come up with a, a wonderful uh, confession, or even in this situation, a, a catechism to help teach us what the Bible says. And so the Heidelberg Catechism is one of the confessions that we find within our book of confessions. And the Heidelberg Catechism was actually finalized in 1619 at the Synod of Dort, where Presbyterians from England and Scotland and the Netherlands gathered together and said, how are we called to live out this fourth commandment exactly? And so question 103 of the Heidelberg Catechism tells us how we are to live out this fourth commandment. And so the way that the uh, catechism works is the teacher would ask the pupils a question and the pupils would then respond. So in that responsive way, I'm going to read question 103, if we could put that up on the wall. Question 103 of the Heidelberg Catechism. I'll ask the question, then let's all answer it together. What does God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel and Christian education be maintained, and that I diligently attend church, especially on the Lord's day, to hear the word of God, to participate in the holy sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian service to those in need. Second, that I cease from my evil works all the days of my life, allow the Lord to work in me through his spirit, and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. When we remember the Sabbath in holy worship, we're preparing our hearts for the eternal Sabbath, the eternal rest that we have in Jesus Christ. And so we're doing what this text says here today. Hey, God bless you. Here we are this morning, and we're listening to the word of God, seeking to understand more and more of of who God is and, and who God's calling us to be so that we might live it out and faithfully serve others in honor of God's great love for us. Yes, we're seeking to to do that here on on the Sabbath. Now, it's interesting. The Sabbath originally was actually on Saturday for Jews. In fact, they still honor uh, the the Saturday as their Sabbath. But if you remember the story of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus was crucified on on a Friday for the sins of the world. And then the women waited until Sunday 
to anoint his body with spices because they were honoring the Sabbath. It was a day of holy communal rest. And Jews would not do anything on the Sabbath but worship God and fellowship with one another at table and and rest in God. And so they waited until Sunday morning. And when they came to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, what did they find? But the tomb was empty because Christ is risen. And that's why we gather on Sunday, because it was on a Sunday that Jesus rose again. It was on a Sunday that Jesus proved to be greater than death itself. It was on a Sunday that Jesus conquered both sin and death on our behalf so that we might know with full assurance that in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life, that death does not have the final say for those of us who call upon the name of the Lord. And so the body of Christ has been gathering on on Sundays ever since. Sunday is now our, our day of rest. And growing up in Midland, Texas in the 70s and 80s, we used to have these things called blue laws. Anybody remember the blue laws of the 70s, 80s, even the 60s? Yeah, some of you remember that. The blue laws made sure that nothing was open on Sundays, hardly anything. I remember the grocery stores were open and maybe the movie theaters, but most stores, most restaurants were closed on Sundays because it was supposed to be a day of of holy rest, communal rest, where we gathered together on Sundays to, to worship God. I remember as a little boy growing up, my typical Sunday was that, uh, you know, I would go to Sunday school because my parents insisted that I go, and then I'd, uh, we'd go to worship as a family. And normally we came home for lunch because most restaurants were closed on Sundays. And then I would watch the Cowboys, and that may or may not re- rejuvenate my soul based on how they did. And then I would play with friends. And then the evening we would have youth group. And Sunday was a day that really was dedicated to the Lord. That's not the way it is today, is it? Most stores are open on Sundays. As I look around the sanctuary, I know we have some store owners and some restaurant owners in our, in our church who make sure that their stores are, are closed on Sundays. They want to honor the Sabbath. And I'm, and I'm so great that you offer that model of Sabbath rest, not only for yourself, but, but for your employees as well. Notice in our text in, Gen- in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 10, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Not even the animals are supposed to work on Sunday. Everybody's supposed to take the Sabbath off. In fact, the the word Sabbath in Hebrew is Shabbat. Shabbat is the way you say that. And one of my uh, professors in seminary pointed out that the word starts with a shh. Cease, rest. And Jews would faithfully begin their Sabbath, their Shabbat, on Friday evening as the sun would set. And they would rest all day Saturday in worship of God, in fellowship and communion with one another, not working, not striving, not laboring, but resting in God until Saturday evening. Shabbat. Are we honoring the Shabbat, the Sabbath? Are we taking the time we need to to rest in God. I, when I remember when I was uh, in uh, high school as a teenager, I actually worked at Chick-fil-A. And, uh, and by the 90s, the blue laws had all been repealed, and so everything was open, except Chick-fil-A. We did not work on Sundays because Truett Cathy, a faithful follower of Jesus, did not want people to work on Sunday. He wanted to honor the Sabbath. He knew that the, the Sabbath was a, a gift from God, and he wanted to make sure his employees got to experience that gift as well. In fact, it's kind of interesting, historically, uh, during the French Revolution, uh, as the French government became more secular, they decided they were going to rearrange the calendar, and rather than having a seven-day work week, they tried to come up with a a 10-day work week, 
where people had to work nine days and only on the tenth day could they rest. Well, people hated this. In fact, the homicide rate and the suicide rate and the execution rate all went up until Napoleon took over and said, let's get rid of that ten-day work week. That's useless. Let's go back to seven days. There's a rhythm to creation that gives us seven days. On the seventh day, we were to rest. And Exodus reminds us of that. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, specifically we read, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God reminds us that this rhythm of of rest that we all need, this seventh day rhythm of rest, began at the very first of creation. If you remember the story of creation that we find in Genesis chapter 1, God speaks and he creates and it happens and God says it's good. God says let there be light and the light happens and he says it's good. And he continues this rhythm of speaking and creating and blessing. And then on the sixth day, he creates all of us, humanity, in his image. In the image of God, we've been created, both male and female, created in the very image of God. And he looks at us and he says, oh, it's very good on that sixth day. But notice what happens on the seventh day. We read about it in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, these words. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Humanity's first full day was a day of rest. God has given us a a gift, a gift that we might rest in him and all the work that he has already done, that we might take this day to, to rest so that we might be ready to work. But in our day and age, well, everybody's working for the weekend, right? That's what the old song says from the 80s. Everybody's working for the, we work and work and work for the weekend. We work and work and work. And when the work is done, we'll finally rest. But that's not how it starts. Now, the week should begin in rest so that we have the energy to work. God has given us the gift On the very first day, a day of rest, that we might rest in him and in him find the strength to do the work that he's calling us to do. A.J. Swoboda, who's a church planter and a pastor, has written a great book. Uh, It's entitled, Subversive Sabbath, The Surprising Power of Rest in a Nonstop World. If you want to go deeper in this topic, I would highly recommend you purchase this book. I've kindled it. I think it was like 12 bucks when I kindled it. Subversive Sabbath, The Surprising Power of Rest in a Nonstop World. In his book, he writes this about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift we do not know how to receive. In a world of doing, going, and producing, we have no use for a gift that invites us to stop. But that's the original gift, a gift of rest. Of course, at the world's beginning, God finishes the very first week by extending to the whole creation a gift, a day to stop, breathe, cease, enjoy, feast. God named it Sabbath. A.J. Swoboda Swoboda points out in his book that of all the other ancient religions in the world that existed uh, prior, obviously, and during the time of Moses, all these other ancient religions, they all had different creation stories. And in none of the creation stories was there a day of rest. 
In fact, the the people who followed these other false gods were told by their gods that they needed to work and work and work and work and and offer one sacrifice after another to hopefully appease the gods or to find favor with the gods. And, And the people were created to work for the gods, but our God in his love creates us and he gives us the first day of, of, of our creation, a day of rest, so that we might rest in him. But the temptation of our culture, the temptation of our world, is to work and work and work and work as the people followed the false gods of Moses' day. You know, it's interesting as we think about this call to rest and this, this gift that God has given us to rest. You know, we, we, we find ourselves in a, in a world that, that doesn't promote rest, it promotes work. In fact, we honor the, the person who works 60 hours a week. I remember when I worked for Price Waterhouse, um, I was stuck on a project. I say stuck. I was placed on a project that was pretty hard, very demanding. And we were easily working 12-hour days. I would often work 60 hours a week. And at the end of my, my year, when they did the assessment, you know, and I got my annual review, they celebrated that I was in the top 1% of billable hours for a level one consultant in my region at the time. I got promoted, I got a raise, I even got a bonus. But I was miserable because I had been burning the candle at both ends. I was actually blessed to take a class from A.J. Swoboda during my sabbatical. I was able to audit this class that he taught at Fuller Seminary on sacred rhythms. And he pointed out that if a pastor, if a pastor breaks one of the Ten Commandments like stealing or committing adultery or, uh, you know, making an idol and worshiping it or any of these other Ten Commandments, You'll get fired right away and probably will be out of ministry the rest of your life. But if you break the Sabbath, you'll probably get a raise. If you're the kind of pastor who works all day Monday with different program staff meetings, and then you've got your Tuesday meetings and your Tuesday Bible studies and your Wednesday night class, and then your sermon prep on Thursday and sermon writing on Friday and weddings and funerals on Saturday, and then you're preaching on Sunday, and you work every day of the week for seven days a week, every every week of the year, eventually people will, will laud and honor you and go, wow, what a great hard worker you are. Let's give you a raise. But all the while, your soul has been dying because you've not been taking the time that God commands that we rest in him. We all need this rhythm of sacred rest. My good friend, uh, Doug Rumford, who's a Presbyterian pastor in our denomination, he's in California, he's written a book called Soul Shaping, From Soul Neglect to Spiritual Vitality. From Soul Neglect to Spiritual Vitality. He has an entire chapter dedicated to the Sabbath, the importance of Sabbath rest for all of us, And he writes this in his book, unless we rest consistently, we will be spiritually drained continually. Let's read that together. Unless we rest consistently, we will be spiritually drained continually. We need this rhythm of of regular Sabbath rest. A day that we dedicate, as you're doing this morning, that we dedicate to worship of God. But not just the morning. No, we should spend the whole day in in rest, where where our souls rejuvenated and revived. I love what Ruth Haley Barton says in her book, Sacred Rhythms. Uh, Our our church is going through this on Wednesday nights, and if you haven't been able to be a part of the class at 6.30 on Wednesday nights, you can still join us. We're pretty early in the book, but she has an entire chapter on Sabbath. And in this chapter on Sabbath, she writes this. First, the heart of Sabbath is that we cease our work so that we can rest and delight in God and God's good gifts. The word Shabbat in the verb means to cease, to stop working. 
First, the heart of Sabbath is that we cease our work so that we can rest and delight in God, in God's good gifts. Everything we might choose to do or not do needs to somehow fit into these purposes. We're either ceasing and we're delighting in God. These are the two things we want to do on the Sabbath. Second, it's important to establish a regular rhythm, if at all possible. You know, we live our life out of habits. Do you have the habit of remembering the Sabbath, keeping it holy, making sure that you're not doing any work on Sundays, but rather you're doing what, would, what delights, allows you to delight in the Lord and helps rejuvenate your soul? So what does that look like for you and me today? Like I said, you know, we, we no longer have those blue laws. It's very easy to go shopping. And I remember my, my old Southern Baptist grandmother, my mom's mom, who was really, you know, staunch Southern Baptist. She, she told me that when they began to repeal the, the blue laws in the 1980s, she said, I don't care if they allow me to, to, to shop on Sundays. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to bless those vendors on Sundays. I'm going to honor the Sabbath. Well, then three years later, I saw her shopping on a Sunday. It's just too easy to do it, right? But what if we did what our Jewish brothers and sisters have done before us? What if we made preparations to honor the Sabbath, which for most of us will be Sunday? What if we made every effort to do all of our shopping and our errand running on Saturday so that we might fully rest on Sunday? In fact, why don't we learn from our, our Jewish brothers and sisters and recognize that, well, that the Sabbath should really begin on the sunset the day before. That as the sun sets on Saturday, that we should do what, what they do, which is to to go to bed early, to rest. Because it's hard to worship God and to love God well when you're tired. It's hard to love our neighbor well when we're tired. But if we'll take the time we need to, to prepare for worship of God on Saturday evening, going to bed at an early hour, doing restful things, then waking up refreshed, gathering in communal worship as we're doing today, gathering around the word of God, gathering at the Lord's table to remember God's great love for us, that he doesn't just love us this much, but he loves us this much. For God in his great love for us sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who is without sin, to become sin for us, to do for us what we can never do for ourselves. He lived in perfect obedience and then he died as the perfect sacrifice on a cross for our sins so that our sins might be atoned for once and for all. And on the third day, he rose again, conquering both sin and death on our behalf. And, and so we gather together in corporate worship to read God's word, to hear God's word, to, to talk to God through prayer and to gather at his table, this feast that he's prepared, his love feast to remind us of his great love. And then that love propels us out into the rest of the day as we rest in him. Maybe on, on Sabbath, this Sabbath, take a nap. The Cowboys aren't playing. They're out of it. There's no hope for them. Super Bowl's next Sunday, right? But we're not in it. Just rest. Take some time to, to rest in God. Or do whatever it is that helps rejuvenate your soul. Now, that's going to be something different for each one of us. For instance, I'm an extrovert. My son John is an extrovert. But my wife Sarah, she's an introvert, as well as my two other daughters. They're, they're introverts, uh, Hannah and Elizabeth. Well, what rejuvenates my soul and John's soul is to be with other people in encouraging fellowship. And what specifically rejuvenates my soul is to, is to be outside when the weather's good. And so John and I have found that one way we can, we can rejuvenate our souls is to play golf together on Sundays, you know, encouraging one another as we hit horrible shots after horrible shots, hoping one will finally make it in. Or, as my wife will do and my two daughters, taking that Sabbath to rest, to take a nap, to read a book, to be still before the Lord in solitude and silence. 
What is it that rejuvenates your soul? Make plans and preparations to do that on Sunday. Do all your shopping on Saturday. Rest on Sunday so that you might be refreshed and renewed. As Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Matthew, he offers us rest if we will come to him. For in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. On Sunday, we should come to Jesus in corporate worship of him, and privately, we come to him so that we might rest in him. Take that nap. My favorite thing to do on Sundays is to take a nap after worship. I'm, I'm tired after preaching, right? I, I take a nap. Then I go outside and I try to play games or do something with my kids. Do something that rejuvenates your soul. Find rest in God. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The yoke of Christ is easy because he carries the burden for us. Every time we honor the Sabbath, we are humbly recognizing that God is in control and we are not. We don't have to keep striving and, and keep earning and, and trying to win the approval of others. No, we rest in God. And we know we can because of all that he's already done for us. May each one of us take the time we need each and every Sunday to rest in him. First, in corporate worship of God and then make plans and preparations to do that which allows you to, to delight in God whether it to be in fellowship with others or whether it be to be alone with him in solitude and in silence, perhaps reading a book, whatever it is that God uses to help allow you to rest in him. May we all take the time we need to rest so that we might better love God and love others to the glory of his name. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, you have given us this fourth most important commandment of remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And as we do this, Lord, we recognize that we are able to love you more with the rest that we've received from you. And as we rest in you, we're actually able to love our neighbor better because it's hard to love others when you're tired. So God, help each one of us to make plans and preparations that we might rest in you, knowing that you have already done for us all that needs to be done for our salvation. And so on Sundays, the Lord's Day, the day that you rose again, we gather together like we are this morning in corporate worship of you, but we want to spend the afternoon resting in you, doing those things that allow us to delight in you, to grow closer to you, whether it be napping, resting, sleeping, reading, fellowshipping with others. Lord, help us to make the most of this day so that we might be well rested to love you and to love our neighbors ourselves so that you might receive all the glory. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.